CSN International presents to every man an answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. Always a blessing to be with you. Looking forward to answering some questions with all of us today as we um, open the lines right up. Again, 8888-ASK-CSN is the number to call. If you've got a Bible question, read in your Bible, come across something you don't understand. Someone's asked you a question. Maybe you just want to know more what's going on in the world from a biblical point of view. Again, that number, 88. 88- 88-ASK-CSN, and we'll do our very best to get to your question today. Now, joining me today, special guest and featured CSN speaker that we have after To Every Man and Answer, we have with us Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Hi, and welcome, Jeff. Hello, Mike. Good to be with you today. We missed you yesterday. I'm glad to see you back and looking forward to, as always, a great show. I believe it's going to go well, and uh, God's going to speak to people all over the United States. Amen. Always a good thing. Yeah. We, uh, we get people, we've had calls from Japan and we've had calls from Australia, um, uh, Central America. People listen to us all over the world and it is a blessing and an honor to be able to come and just, and just sit down with all of you and tell you what the Bible says. You know, I, I think all of us want to endeavor to be the most loving, kind people we can be. I know sometimes I, I get a little hot when we deal with the cults, mm-hmm. because again, when you have to rewrite the Bible to suit your own belief, or you have to twist scripture and ignore other verses in the Bible to fit your theology, this is what's troubling. And, you know, uh, doing this program for almost 30 years, you know, when somebody calls up and says something like, well, ba 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 ba, what do you say? And I could say, oh, yeah, I believe in ba 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 ba. And then they say, well, give me a Bible verse for that. Well, there is one. This is just what I feel. It's a very slippery slope and a very dangerous place to be. So if the Word of God doesn't say it, we want to be very careful. Now, there are times when we have an opinion or whatever that may be not spelled out exactly. Uh, but I think there should be ample biblical support for radical theology. And what I mean by that is is uh, theology that goes beyond, a Bible reading that goes beyond what what we might say all of us can read and, and come to the conclusion of. So that's why we like to get together, do our very best in studying God's Word. Jeff, I appreciate your time and being part of the program yesterday and today. And again, that number to call, 8888-ASK-CSN is the number to call, and you can be part of the program today. We've got a couple lines open if you call right now. Well, we might as well go ahead and go to the phones. We have Lisa on the line from Napa, California. Hi, and welcome. Hi. Um, So my question is basically um, I wanted to know about um, a covenant and um, the covenants that are spoken of in the Bible. Um, Can they ever be broken? What is the definition of a biblical covenant? And also, um, um, just you know, the the part in the Bible where Jesus said, "I 
it comes to um, to fulfill the word, you know, the law and not change it. Um, speaking on the covenant part of it, how does that work? Um, well, John 12 says, Jesus said to his disciples, I kept my father's commandments. Now you keep mine. He didn't say, I kept my father's commandments, and you need to keep my father's commandments and mine also. He doesn't say that. He says, you need to, he said, you need to keep my commandments, and that is to love one another. And when they came to Jesus and they said, what is the greatest commandment? Thus where we get a covenant. He said, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself, for upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That is not the Ten Commandments. That is to love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. For Jesus went on to say, upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. Jeff, your thoughts? Yeah, it's a great question, Lisa. And there's, I'm thinking of two kinds between man and man and between God and man. And that's two kinds of covenants. When it's between man and man, we all know what that is. It's a, it's a promise, uh, to do thus and so. Uh, you know, I promise that, uh, I will do my part in this uh, business agreement or I promise I'll never, we, we make a covenant when we get married. You know, I promise I will never be unfaithful. I will never walk out on you. So on and so forth. Uh, so we understand that it's a binding agreement, uh, and it can even be a legal contract. Uh, like, uh, when you are going to go into a major, uh, business venture, you get lawyers in there and you sign contracts. That's, that's a type of, uh, covenant. Between God and man, there's, there's two kinds, conditional and unconditional. Uh, the conditional covenants, like for instance, God made with Israel under Moses. He said, if you this, 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 and this, then I will this, 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 and this. But if you don't do uh, what I am asking you to do, then I will not do what I'm promising to do. That's a conditional covenant. And, of course, Israel broke that covenant over and over and over again and experienced successive judgments, uh, like go through the book of Judges, and they, they broke their covenant over and over again, and God had to rescue them repeatedly. But uh, then unconditional is when God says, Here's what I'm going to do, and I don't care what men do. I'm going to do it no matter what. And I think of, for instance, uh, the Noahic covenant when God said, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky as my covenant, my promise that I will never again flood the earth and destroy the earth with a great flood. I'm never going to do it again. And every time you look in the sky and you see a rainbow, that is a sign of my covenant, unconditional covenant, that I'm going to, uh, that I will never do that again. And I also think uh, an unconditional covenant is Christ Jesus promised to return. He, he's going to come back no matter what men do or don't do. We've got this weird flaky theology out there that, um, you know, the Lord is waiting for the church to do a certain thing. And until the church does a certain thing, he can't come back, like reach a certain level of holiness or uh, take control of, you know, there's the, the so-called seven mountain mandate where man, uh, where, where the church is supposed to take control of government, of, of, 
the music industry, of these different key features of our society. And when we finally take control of the seven mountains, then the Lord can come back. That's that's just not true. He can come back before this show is over. It doesn't depend on anything uh, having to do with us. So I believe that's another example of an unconditional covenant. So I hope that helps, Lisa. Is that answered for you? Yes, it does. Um, and I also just um, was curious about um, the that I had also heard that I guess the reason for the Sabbath being on a Saturday was just um, to tell the early Christians apart from other, um, I guess you could say, non-believers, that that was supposed to differentiate, um, you know, which were and which were not. Is that, um, you know, anything about that? Well, the early church met on Sunday. They didn't meet on the Sabbath. Now, people say, well, Constantine changed the Sabbath to Sunday. No, he didn't. The Sabbath has always been on Saturday, always will be. Now, you have groups of people today that go around saying, well, we keep the Sabbath. In fact, they don't, and that's a lie. Because according to Levitical law, you couldn't travel so far from your home on the Sabbath. You couldn't make anybody else work on the Sabbath. Uh, and you couldn't kindle a fire on the Sabbath. You could do no work. In fact, in Israel today, they have Sabbath elevators. And, and what that is on the Sabbath automatically switches to it. You have an elevator that automatically stops at every single floor in the motel. That's a Sabbath elevator. Now, actually, Sunday through Friday, um, you can push the button, and that'll take you to the floor you want to go. But because you can do no work, according to Levitical law on the Sabbath, pushing the button on the elevator pad is work. So they have the Sabbath elevators. Well, the problem is you have these groups around saying, well, we keep the Sabbath. No, you don't. You get in the building on the sa- on a Saturday, and you worship God. And by the way, I don't have any problem with that. Um, I think that... Uh, Worshiping Lord on Saturday or Sunday or Tuesday or whatever day uh, you you can, that's a good thing. But then categorically to say anybody that worships on Sunday, it's the mark of the beast, or you really don't love God, Paul very clearly says, don't let anyone judge you according to new moons and Sabbaths. And here's the reason why. We don't add anything to our spirituality by worshiping on Saturday or Sunday or any other day. We are sanctified, we're made holy by what Jesus did for us. No good thing dwells in the flesh. There's nothing that I can say, look what I did, this makes me holy, because our holiness comes from him. The Bible says he's the author and finisher of our faith. And so what does that mean? Any faith you got, any righteousness you have, came from him, not from ourselves. And I think that's really important. Lisa, I hope that helps. It does. So if like, if we're supposed to be the grafted vine and Jesus went to to church on, on Sabbath, then should we be going on Sabbath or, or no? Well, the early church, like I say, worshiped on, on, uh, on Sunday to commemorate Jesus raising from the dead. And you can find this such as Exodus chapter 20, when they came together to break bread, Paul says in another place, when you come together on the first day of the week, uh, very clearly he's talking about that. 
it's not an issue. Uh, I do believe everyone, there should be a day a week you take off, do no work, just allow God to bless you with what he's given you, to give thanks for it, focus upon him. I think that's important. Your day of rest might be a Tuesday or Wednesday. If you're a paramedic, you're a doctor or some other, some other public service, uh, personnel, um, your day of rest may not be a Saturday or a Sunday. But that doesn't mean we can violate that. I think we need to do that because I think it's, first of all, honors God. And number two, I think it's healthy for for all of us um, mentally, physically, spiritually to rest from our labors and recognize that God will make up the difference. The Bible says in Exodus 26 days thou shalt work, and on the seventh you shall rest. Now, depending on how you count it depends on probably what day you need to take off. But here's the point. The thing is, I know people that won't work any day of the week. We call them homeless people sometimes or or indigent. That doesn't mean every homeless person doesn't work. Don't misunderstand. What I'm saying is many people don't want to work any day of the week. Well, that's a violation of Scripture, just like working every day. You know, got to keep your old nose to the grindstone, you know, yeah, you know, uh, Russ never takes a vacation, and they're always out there trying to make up the difference. Well, take that day off and let God bless you and let him make up the difference on the day you take off. And that way you won't look at life someday and say, wow, I never stopped to smell the roses. I never, I never, even the world has a terminology for it. You get so involved in what you're doing. Even our hobbies sometimes and things, we miss life. And so I really believe that's such an important part of our Christianity is to just enjoy that. And I, I think people, I think people on the outside looking in, uh, recognize that. Now, if somebody's just saying, Oh, I think you're a Christian because you're not working today. Well, I know a lot of people again that don't work any day of the week, but I believe that again, we have to go back that honoring God and letting him make up the difference because a lot of people won't take a day off. Well, I've got three jobs because I got my, all these different things. Well, you know, I, I don't know. All I can tell you is I've always found honoring God one day a week and just saying, Lord, I just want to enjoy, you know, the trees, or I just want to enjoy fellowshipping with the saints. I just want all those things I think are so important. Jeff, your thoughts. Yeah. One, one last thing, Lisa, on this topic is it's, it's important that we note that the Ten Commandments, and of course the, the Sabbath, I think, is the fourth one. Um, nine of the Ten Commandments were moved over into the New Covenant. We we are to honor those commandments, and of course, thou shalt not commit adultery, steal, kill, bear false witness, so on and so forth. But the one that wasn't moved over was the Sabbath. You don't see any of the apostles uh, commanding the church to honor the Sabbath like they did under Moses. What we do read in Hebrews 4, for instance, is that Jesus has become our Sabbath rest. And that's why it's not moved over. Because, because the Sabbath in the Old Covenant was a, was a shadow, a type and a shadow of the rest that we would all experience under Jesus. The forgiveness of sin, peace with God, not trying to win salvation by our own tiresome works, all of that went away. So a uh, little food for thought there, but uh, that's why we don't read about in any of the epistles, uh, are we told by Paul, Peter, James, John, or Jude, hey, you be sure you obey that Sabbath. No, we're taught that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Mike? 
Yeah, he's Lord of the Sabbath. Lisa, I hope that helps, dear. It does. It does. Um, Because I know, like, you know, of course, in Jesus' times, the the fanatic Jews and everything that were um, carrying the Sabbath too far, yeah, you can't travel so many feet and you know, because that wasn't the original um, laws of the Sabbath. Those were just added on by, like like I say, the fanatic Jews from what I understand or people that, you know, um, took it too far. And they would even, you know, put the little things on their forehead and just um, things like that. But then, you know, because it, it is in the Bible that, you know, um, if a man's donkey falls in a ditch, well, who's going to leave it there? I, I do know that in all fairness, um you know, I know um, a lot of Adventist people do work on Sabbath at hospitals and um, yeah. things like that because it's, you know, it's not considered. I mean, you know, it, it goes back to the, the verse where, you know, Jesus spoke on that. Um, but I and also I've never heard where Jesus is a fallen man ever, ever, ever. Um, Jesus was perfect and without sin, um, you know, God on whoever earth. whoever teaches that Jesus was a fallen man has never read the Bible and doesn't know Scripture, and, and, and the worst of all, they don't know Jesus. Because uh, how can he take away your sins if he's a sinner as well? The only sin that Jesus ever experienced is when he bore our sins on the cross. And I think that's really important. Uh, where, did you, where did you hear that Jesus was a sinner? Um, oh, well, I was commenting on a caller that called in yesterday um, about Jesus being a fallen man, and yeah, um, it was somebody involved in Seventh-day Adventism. Yeah, no, Jesus never sinned. And, uh, and his body his body was fallen. That's what they had Yeah, said. no, and uh, it that, wasn't either. It was, it, yeah. he, he was the perfect—you got to remember that when they would offer up a lamb, and at the same exact time at the Sheep Gate, as Jesus was being examined by the Pharisees that week before he died on the cross— that they would look at these lambs for any spot, any blemish, and um, both physically and 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 uh, health-wise in the animal. You could not offer a blemish sacrifice to God. And so while the Pharisees are examining Jesus, trying to fault uh, with him, shall we pay taxes or not? Jesus said, render to Caesar what Caesar, to God the things that are God— Across the down down the other gate, sheep gate. Here you've got another group of religious people examining the sheep as well for the Passover sacrifice, and that's why Jesus is the Paschal Lamb that took away the sins of the world because he was spotless. Hope that helps, Lisa. It does, yeah. Because, like I said, in all fairness, um, I I do attend an Adventist church because I see that they do, um to, you know, and it's getting so scary. It is just with everything that's going on, the different movements, the, you know, um, culture, you know, wars and everything like that. Um, you, you do see um, a lot of churches kind of changing um, beliefs or softening um, what they have to say just to, you know, please people, not hurt people. And um, but no, I, you know, like I say, in all fairness, I do attend an Adventist church because I see that it's follows closely to what the Bible, um, the Word of God, um, you know, says. Um, but yeah, no, I've never, ever heard that, it, you know, that they think that um, Jesus was a fallen man. I've never heard that. So I don't know where that... His body, that his body was uh, fallen like Adam's was after Adam's sin. They also teach soul sleep 
and they also teach that heaven or that hell is not eternal. And uh, lots of, you know, there's lots of problematic things with Adventism uh, belief systems. But, um, you know, that's that's your choice, Lisa. Yeah, Ellen G. White uh, said a lot of very heretical things that is one of their main prophetesses, uh, that worshiping on Sunday is the mark of the beast. And that is completely anti-Scripture. Uh, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 13, the mark of the beast is a mark on your hand or on your forehead. And she said, well, that's what you think and that's what you do. Well, if that was the case, how is during the tribulation period the problem with humanity of what they think and do any different than it was 500 years ago, a 1,000 years ago, or in the days of Jesus? The problem with humans, it's always been what we think and what we do. But that's not what Revelation 13 is talking about, contrary to what Ellen G. White taught. She taught that it is worshiping on Sunday. But the Bible says it's a mark, like a tattoo, on your hand or on your forehead. It says it's a mark, a name, or a number. Now, people say, well, why would it be so generalized? Probably depending on what part of the world uh, the individual is in. It may be just a mark put on people by the devil declaring their allegiance to a one-world order, whether it be a peace symbol or something else. Maybe in your more advanced societies like Europe, it may be a chip implanted under the skin. Others, it might be a tattooed barcode. Don't know. All I know is the Bible says it's upon the hand or upon the forehead the two major areas on our body that are generally never covered. But for somebody to come along and twist Scripture and say, oh, no, uh, that's not what that means. It means something else. I would have a problem with their exegete of any Scripture. And this is what I think, you know, Jeff, you were probably alluding to with the other major issues. Um, can you think of any others? Well, they're, they're just, uh, well, their belief system, first of all, Ellen White prophesied many things that never happened. And they had to, uh, redo it, revamp it, um, sort of what the Mormons have had to do and the Jehovah's Witnesses also had to do. And, and I'm not putting Adventists in those two camps, but nevertheless, the founder was a false prophet. I mean, there's no other way to put it. She was, and many of the things she taught are just not biblical. The The whole thing of the mark, it's karagma in the Greek, and it means a sculpture or an engraving or a stamp or a sign. So it's clearly something visible to the naked eye. And uh, so to say that it's, you know, you're, you're, th you're thinking or what you're doing uh, that's not true. So many things. And, you know, Lisa, we're not ra raining on your parade here or trying to come against no. where you go at all. Uh, it's just uh, you brought it up. And and uh, so just some of the things we know about Adventism, you, you, you might want to look at. Well, the dietary laws are another one. You know, not eating pork, for instance. Well, it might not be the healthiest choice in, in the world, but we don't go to heaven from what we don't eat or do eat. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, it's what comes out of him. Uh, and, and this is, I believe, why we have to be very careful. So I would strongly recommend anybody that, that is in any of those type of organizations, you need to spend time reading the book of Galatians. 
The book of Galatians is going to be your best guide to let you know where a person is in error or that that they believe properly. Because Galatians was written to people that believed once you accepted Christ, then you had to get back under the law again. And um, uh, so it's Jesus and the Ten Commandments. Well, let me tell you, anything Jesus plus anything else is a lie. It's Jesus only is what saves us from our sins. And we have to always remember that. Uh, Lisa, I hope that helps you. It does. And that's what I've always heard. I mean, I've been going to an Adventist church for a long time. That's exactly what I've always heard. Um, I know that... And and by the way, I have friends that I I know a couple people that are semi-Adventist, and I think they're as good a Christians as anybody I've met. Uh, And I've met others, like I met others from even, uh, you know, mainline good denominational churches, I don't think are saved either. But um, it's when they get into self-generation. Well, I'm holy because I do this and you don't. I keep the Sabbath. You don't. I don't eat pork. You do. I'm better than you are. No, that is absolutely false. Again, the book of Galatians clearly tells us, as he says in chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? You begun in the Spirit. Are you going to be made perfect in the flesh? And again, when you think about that, going back, something that I'm going to do in the flesh as a person to generate spirituality, honestly, we're just fooling ourselves because our spirituality comes from Him. And again, by the way, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's how God wants to relate with us. Not because, well, you know, Daddy, I, I've... Uh, I've uh, um, uh, uh, I haven't eaten any pork. I, I worship on Saturday. Now, do you love me? If you understand the true love of God, it doesn't matter whether you ate pork or uh, a hamburger. It doesn't make any difference. God's love for us is father to a child. When you pray, Jesus said, "Pray in this manner, our Father." But religion never recognizes the father-child relationship. It's always something you got to do by burning incense stick or going door to door with literature or or different things to earn your way to show you're worthy. Well, everybody, no matter how much we do, will never be worthy. Worthiness is a gift of God that God gives us, not by our own actions, but what God has done in us. And it makes such a big difference. Lisa, stay in line. Send you out some books, some DVDs I think you'll really enjoy. And uh, again, read the book of Galatians. It's always one of those great corrective books in the Bible. And with that, we are coming up on a break. We don't want anyone to go away. We're going to have a whole lot more to remain an answer. Coming up right after this, we'll be right back. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with health care costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving. 
Here you go. Call 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. This is a sound of not just one, not just two, but three heartbeats. Heartbeats that were birthed through the ministry of preborn who helped this mother of triplets choose life. The heartbeat of a preborn baby can be heard as early as five weeks on ultrasound. The sound of a heartbeat changes everything. I came seeking termination, but once I got here and I took an ultrasound, I was overjoyed when I found out that I was having three baby boys. Preborn is the country's largest provider of free ultrasounds for moms in crisis. Preborn pregnancy clinics share the heartbeats of those in the greatest need, preborn babies. To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Wednesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer with Jeff Wickwire from Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm your host, Mike Kessler. Going back to the phones, we have Crystal on the line in Little Elm, Texas. Hi and welcome. Hi, how are you? Good. How may we help? Um, I have a, well, I have a comment on something you just said, uh, Mr. Kessler, where you said Jesus saves us from our sin, not Jesus and the Ten Commandments. So my question, though, is for Mr. Jeff Wickwire. I was listening to your show the other day, mm-hmm. and you were talking about moral law mm-hmm. and the Ten Commandments that right. were, that are carried over to the New Testament. Right. And um, so my question is, uh, and I hope I say this right. Can you break a Ten Commandment, and and you ask for yeah. forgiveness, so you would still go to heaven if you ask for forgiveness if you've broken a Ten Commandment? But I was a little confused over where they were saying the moral law. To me, the Ten Commandments—it's like you don't break them. But what if you break them? Are you still? Well, the, the, very quickly, I just let me interject something right here. Through love, we fulfill the Ten Commandments. If you love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit, you're not going to be using his name in vain. If you love God, you're going to know that carving a chunk of wood or a piece of gold and calling that an idol, and that's what God looks like, you'll know that that's not truly God. If you love your fellow man, you're not going to be stealing from him. If you love your fellow man, you're not going to be bearing false witness against him. And so it's through love that these things are fulfilled. Now, yes, today, almost all laws that we have are based in some kind of a biblical background. Now, you can break them, you can be forgiven, but you might be doing a life sentence in jail. And I think this is what we have to understand, the uh, eternal laws of God. And then we also have to understand the governance laws that we have on this earth to govern people. Otherwise, we'd have free-for-all. People say, well, I we just want to be free. Well, what does that mean? In freedom, there's laws. 
You can't say there's no laws and freedom. Well, I just want to be free. I, I want to murder anybody I feel like. I want to steal from any bank that I think I like their building. I think there's enough cash in there to hold me over for a day. I want to be free. No, there's laws in freedom. This is the mistake that is not really being taught, unfortunately, in much of our school systems today. Because, oh, well, you need to be free. I just want freedom. But they fail to tell people in freedom, there are certain things that we do because we love others and want to protect others. So if I love my fellow man, I'm not going to want to kill him. You know, they may make me mad. I may have to go calm down. But there's a big difference. Jeff, go ahead. Yeah, um, Crystal, there are three types of laws uh, under the Old Covenant. And they were ceremonial, civil, and moral. And, of course, the ceremonial were all the feasts and festivals and whatnot. There were all types and shadows pointing down the tunnel of time to the arrival of Jesus. Uh, Day of Atonement, all right? That's uh, clearly pointing to the time that Jesus would die on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice lamb. Uh, the, The civil laws were what the people of Israel lived under when it was a theocracy under Moses, and God gave them laws by which to live. Those two types, ceremonial and civil, went away with the Old Covenant. The moral laws were the Ten Commandments. And Paul tells us in Galatians and other places that those Ten Commandments became like a schoolmaster that whipped us into Christ, into, into grace, because man quickly realized there is no way I can successfully obey these commandments. I'm going to break them. If I keep nine and break one, I've broken them all, according to James. And uh, so it became like, what am I going to do? As Paul said, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Because what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. I keep breaking God's commandments. Uh, I'm in a terrible spot. Well, that's where God wanted man to come to the place where he said, if if it doesn't happen by grace, if I don't attain righteousness by faith through grace, the grace of God, I will never, ever be righteous. So it is, therefore, by grace through faith that we are saved. And uh, so when, when you talk about the Ten Commandments and you say, can I break one? Hey, you know what? Probably we all, at least once a week, break one of the Ten Commandments one way or the other in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, our attitudes. And so you you go to the Lord, First John 1, 9, confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive you. But you're not saved by keeping those commandments. You're saved by grace through faith. And that was the entire message of uh, the New Testament, of the epistles. It was Paul's constant mantra, You're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, yeah, they're the moral laws, and they're the moral laws that we could not successfully, perfectly keep. But Jesus did, and now his uh, keeping them is imputed to us when we place our faith in him. I hope that helps, Crystal. Yeah, the Bible says we put on his robes of righteousness, like wrapping a a winter coat around you. That's God's righteousness on all of us that aren't righteous. That's what makes the difference. And because we love God, we want to do those things that will bless his kingdom, 
and bless others. Hope that helps, Crystal. Yes, thank you. I, I appreciate it. I was just like, if somebody has lived their life not right, and then they realize what they've done, and they've been born again, and they've been baptized, and they try not to do those things anymore, then they're saved by grace and faith. Absolutely. And they may even sin again. But, you know, they came to Jesus and said, how often shall I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus said, 70 times seven. If God is, uh, if that's the way God looks at the way we need to be concerning forgiveness towards him, I know uh, that that's, you know, understanding that's our relationship with our fellow man, God loving us will forgive us. And I, again, First uh, John, it says, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, which is Christ Jesus. So important. Hope that helps. Thank you. God bless you. Stay online if you like crystals and you have some books, some DVDs. I think you'll enjoy sharing with your friends. And let's go to Jeffrey, Mineral Wells, Texas. Hi and welcome. Thanks for waiting. Yes, Potato Pastor Bach, and happy Wickwire Wednesday. Um, How many? I have a question for a friend of mine uh, who I go to church with, and we are independent fundamental Baptist. She goes to a uh, women's Bible study. It's a really great fellowship for her. She really enjoys it. Uh, and uh, the uh, the leader of that is now, and I'm only going to say this to kind of set up the situation, happens to be Southern Baptist, and, uh, and she has Calvinist, uh, she's Calvinist, uh, and uh uh, also, is a uh, what I would term, I, make, and help me understand, but I believe it's a preterist, uh, believes that we're in kingdom now. And she had made a statement the other day to my friend that that we're here to, you know, to uh, uh, work and fellowship. But one day that uh, we will rule and reign with Christ uh, in the kingdom. And, and it was kind of interesting because I thought, well, as if this is the kingdom now, when is the when is the kingdom start? You know, and I think of the kingdom starting in the millennium, uh, but. Yep. Uh, my my friend is is listening, and uh, and and I'd like for you to talk to my friend. Give her any advice that you might have, and uh, on talking with, uh, with this individual, and, and and talk about if you would please just kind of uh, preterism, uh, and just uh, if there's any any advice you would have for dealing with someone that is a Calvinist slash preterist. I would appreciate that. Okay, your thoughts, Jeff. Well, that's two major different uh, belief <laughs> yeah. systems. Uh, Preterism is the belief that the uh, biblical prophecies of the end times have already been fulfilled in the past. And that, if you're an extreme preterist, a hardcore 100 proof uh, preterist, and you believe the book of Revelations has also already been fulfilled, um, that the return of Christ happened in 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed. And uh, so it, uh, if you, a preterist believes that uh, all of that has taken place, it's all behind us. And now we are living in uh, a totally different dis- dispensation. Uh, we're living in the kingdom of God now. Now, if this is the kingdom of God, no thank you. I mean, if we're living right now in the millennial kingdom of God, <laughs> what a disappointment. There's no way. And if you read the book of Revelation, uh, it's so very clear that so many things in Revelation, the 21 judgments, uh all that is going to be coming upon the earth during the Great Tribulation period could never have taken place in 70 A.D. It could never have happened then because we would see it all over the history books and uh, it, w- it would be uh, just huge 
in the annals of earthly history that all that happened. It didn't. Uh, we know that it didn't. So preterism, you know, you could, there's partial preterism where you believe some of the prophecies are fulfilled. There's full preterism. It kind of breaks down into several different stratums. But the bottom line is, um, I think preterism fails when you really look at the facts and you look at the prophecies they say have come to pass. It's impossible that they have. Now, regarding Calvinism, I don't know that Calvinists are preterists. I, I, you know, I know of some very stout Calvinists and they believe that Christ is, uh, certainly going to come in, uh, the rapture of the church. They, they believe in the, uh, millennial time period, the millennial rule, rule and reign of Christ. And, uh, I don't know that I've, I've, I've seen any real, uh, mix of preterism with Calvinism. The two sort of stand alone as belief systems. And, uh, of course, Calvinism is rife with, uh, problematic beliefs and uh, the whole tulip, uh, belief system. Uh, we could talk about that another time, but, uh, Calvinism and preterism, I've never known them to be mixed. So if you have a more uh, pointed question, Jeffrey, about Calvinism or preterism, we can try to answer that as well. Do you have a, another question then? No, no, I, I appreciate that, and uh, thank you all very much. God bless you, and have a great well, day. Well, re- really quickly, Jeffrey, um, see, see, the preterists believe that God has no more to do with Israel than he does with Peru, and that is one of the greatest fatal mistakes that anybody can do reading the Bible, because first of all, God made a promise to Abraham, and that would mean that God really doesn't keep his promises, um, because God made a covenant with Abraham, uh, and I believe he's going to see that out. And that's what the book of Revelation talks about. That's what the 144,000 Jews are about. The book of Revelation did not happen in 70 AD. It's impossible. The Bible says every living thing in the sea died. That didn't happen in 70 AD. Well, that's metaphorically speaking. Watch out. Revelation 22 talks about what happens to people who discount, remove what God's Word says in Revelation, or add to it by saying, well, it, that already happened. Uh, God said he'll add to you the plagues of the book. Now, when a more metaphor in the Bible is obviously a metaphor, that's what it is. A beast with seven heads and ten horns. I have never, I've been to a lot of, a lot of zoos. I've never seen anything like that. So I know it's a metaphor speaking of something else. But when the Bible says every living thing in the sea dies, I can see how that can happen. And then to go along with this idea of the preterist view that we're just going to usher in Christ, that is not what the Bible says. What I believe a lot of the preterists are going to be doing is ushering in the Antichrist, because he's going to come looking like the great man of peace the world has been wanting. And that's what the Bible says he is. But he's a false messiah. And this is one of the great problems. And see, again, going back to Matthew chapter 24, Luke 21, Jesus said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, uh, at, at the, the end. Um, that didn't happen in 70 AD. There was only the Roman Empire. There wasn't nations against nations. There was only the Roman Empire. 
Jesus said something interesting, though, that really knocks the wheels off the bus on preterism, is that Jesus said in Luke 21, Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Uh, 1948, they got half the city of Jerusalem. The 1967 war, they got the other half, the city of Jerusalem. And Donald Trump, the last year he was in office, declared Israel, Jerusalem, to be the capital of the nation of Israel. Against impossible odds, the nation of Israel exists. And Jesus said that it's going to turn back to the Jews now. The Bible says clearly the the city of Jerusalem will be taught, trodden down by the Gentiles till the dime, time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Then he goes on a few verses later and he says, and the generation that sees this, not speaking of the generation that was right in front of Jesus pointing at them, but the generation that sees the rebirth of the nation of Israel, and in particular the city of Jerusalem under Jewish control, All things will be fulfilled before that generation passes away. That's what the Bible says. That's why I know we're in a different time than we've ever been in before. And we have to understand there's never been a time like this. Global nuclear war is threatening. They just released a a, a file today on Russia's nuclear capabilities are much more than we had thought. Now, see, we, we begin to understand a little bit more how every living thing in the sea could die. How the atmospheric conditions could be so goofed up, you would have hundred pound hailstones of 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 uh, ice coming down on them. Uh, you, you begin to understand that we're that things aren't going to get better and better, and the church is just going to start taking everything over. No, the Bible says it's going to get worse and worse. And in fact, during the tribulation period, which they say already happened, but it hasn't yet. You'll be beheaded for your faith if you confess Christ as your Savior. The 144,000 Jews did not show up in 70 AD. And then, to even make Jesus' prediction more ridiculous, when Jesus said that Jerusalem was under Roman control, 70 AD, it was completely annihilated by a Roman general named Titus, and it laid wasted for millennia. And then, against incredible odds, Israel was born again in 1948. Jerusalem came half under control of the Jews, fully under the control of the Jews in 1967. And again, we have an example of Jesus's impossible prophecy shining as an example that God knows more about the future than we do. So categorically, preterism is wrong in so many areas. I, I'd like to be able to say, well, that could be, but it, to me, it's just bad theology. And number two, with the the whole idea of Calvinism, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, but no, no, you don't understand. Unless you were predestinated, you can't go to heaven. That is not what the Bible teaches. Any verses in the Bible that deal with the word pre, uh, um, uh, predestinated are always from God's perspective, not ours. And just because God holds the the uh, the videotape, the the CD of all of our lives, and just because He knows what choices we will make in the future, does not stop any person today from making those choices. 
And so for somebody to say, oh, well, no, unless you're predestined to go to heaven, you can't go. That's not what the Bible says. In fact, Jesus in the Great Commission. Now, I know these other men like to rebuke Jesus. I've learned something being a Christian for 65 years. You don't rebuke Jesus. You just don't do that. And Jesus said, preach the gospel to every creature. He does not say preach it to the predestinated ones. And so, again, when you find predestined in the Bible, that is from God's perspective. But for our perspective, we're to preach the gospel to everyone. Hope that helps, Jeffrey. Great job. Appreciate it very much. God bless you. Stay on the line. Send you out some books, some DVDs. I think you'll really enjoy it. We have The Atheist Delusion by Ray Comfort uh, DVD. Send that out to you, especially in the movie Jesus. I think you'll enjoy it. Let's go to Siobhan, Western Oklahoma. Hi, welcome. Hi, good evening. I have a question about a program. Well, it was on CSN on Friday. It was some time. I just caught it. I, I don't normally listen during that time. I was running an errand, and I caught a little piece of it Friday between 3 and 4 sometime. Anyway, he uh, was saying that in uh, Nehemiah, when Nehemiah was commissioned by King Artaxerxes to rebuild the wall in yes. Jerusalem that uh-huh. it was prophesied I can't I didn't catch exactly where he said whether it was Isaiah or Daniel that 480 some odd years from then the Messiah would ride a cult into Jerusalem and so my husband and I was telling him about it and we were trying to find that in the Bible I looked up in the concordance the word for I still couldn't find that do you guys know where it says that yeah I believe it's in Daniel 9. Your thoughts? Yeah, it is Daniel 9, and I'm looking it up real quick. Uh, it's Daniel's uh, prediction, and it's an amazing prediction. And um, I believe I'm I'm looking, if you want to just uh, elaborate a little bit, Mike, I'm going to find the verse and I'll read it. Um, because it is Daniel's prophecy yeah, verse, about the verse 70 weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it's 25. No one understand no, that from the going yeah. forth, the command... Yeah to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be 70 weeks and 62 weeks and the street will be laid again. Uh, and, and the wall, even in some times. Now it, it says 69, seven year periods of time have been determined from the time that Artaxerxes, the King, gives the command to go restore the walls around the city of Jerusalem, will be 62 and 7 weeks. Now, what, what's amazing here, the Babylonian calendar was predicated on a 360-day year. They partied away the other five a year. And that comes out to 173,880 days. Um, now, when you stop to look that Artaxerxes, according to historians, gave the command to go and rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem, March 14th, 445 B.C. And when Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, it was exactly those number of days. And this is why Jesus, when he descent on the Mount of Olives, when he came into the city on Palm Sunday, He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how off I would gather you, but you would not. It was their day of salvation. 
exactly 173,880 days after the command went forth, Jesus made his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem. They crucified their Messiah, and the clock stopped. And there's a remaining seven-year period of time that God's going to deal with the nation of Israel one last and final time. We know that is the tribulation period. So not only is God executing judgment on a Christ-rejecting world, but he's also dealing with the nation of Israel. And again, going back to our last caller, this is what makes preterism so ridiculous, because everything is hinged around this book of Revelation, the restoration of Israel, the, the, the trouble that it's going to have globally. The Bible says Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling to yeah. the entire world as it is today. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, and we have this one week left, and the one week standing for seven years. And uh, it says in verse 27, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, that is what many, many Bible prophecy teachers believe is the Antichrist cutting a covenant with Israel. Uh, and that really is the fuse for the Great Tribulation. It is the, it is the, the sign, the mark that the tribulation has begun in the beginning of that final week, those final seven years. Because by the time that happens, the 69 years, they're already used up, but we've got one year or one week, seven years that have uh, been left hanging out there. And clearly it's going to happen uh, in the Great Tribulation period, which is a seven-year time period. And so it perfectly fits into that one final week. And Antichrist will uh, commit the abomination of desolation at that time period. And in the final three and a half years of that great tribulation, uh, the Jews are going to undergo persecution like they've never known in all of their history. And that's what verse 27 is telling us. So, uh, it's, it's complicated, Siobhan, but it's very powerful. And Daniel's predictions are so amazingly specific that you look at it and you go, only God could, could know this. This is not, it's not, uh, you know, sort of, uh, could it could be might Edward be Casey kind of yeah it's not yeah it's not you know foggy or uncertain or uh, you know so uncertain that uh, you know you could say a lot of things fulfilled it no this is right down to days and weeks and years and it's it's amazing we have one week to go yep and and again um so the command went forth, March 14th, 445 B.C. Jesus made his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem, April 6th, 32 A.D. And an incredible prophecy here in verse 26, it says, uh, after the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. Now, that's a weird verse. Why does it say that? Jesus was not cut off for himself. He was cut off for us. This is when he became the sacrifice that took away the sins of the world. Siobhan, I hope that helps. Stay on the line. Send you out some books, DVDs. Jane, Andrea, Brandon, call. We'll put you on first thing tomorrow. Thanks, Jeff, for being on. And My again, pleasure. keep looking up. Our redemption draws nigh. Good night. 
To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 